Hi, this is Peter Purvis. You're listening to the Sirens of Audio. Hope you enjoy what you're going to hear. G'day audiophiles, you are listening to the Sirens of Audio, or you're watching it, if you're watching us on YouTube, hello, uh, my name is Dwayne and that is... Philip, g'day Dwayne, g'day everyone. Uh, good to see you again Philip, it's good to be back uh, after such a long break, we have such long breaks between our shows. Yeah, if only we did, <laughs> but yes, maybe one day we'll get a long break. Uh... Yeah, maybe we will. Um, we've got a great show lined up for you. Uh, we're going to be talking with director Ken Bentley. He's the director of uh, the February monthly Big Finish release, The Blazing Hour, starring Peter Davison as the Fifth Doctor and Mark Strickson as Turlow. Uh, so great chat coming up with him shortly. But um, first of all, let, let me just say thank you. I just want to say a big thank you to our listeners who are subscribing and who are regularly downloading um our episodes it's it's um a joy for me and phil to be able to provide these podcasts for you and uh we really appreciate you taking the time to download them and, and have a listen to them and uh so if you get a chance uh jump onto the youtube channel too and subscribe there because uh, we're putting up some videos too if you uh want to do that so um yeah i, I just want to express my thanks um, for uh, for all those who are continuing to listen to us here. So thank you. Philip, Dwayne. what's that up ahead? I can see a hole. It's, we're falling in. It's no. a rabbit hole. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. All right. So this rabbit hole, I just want to talk briefly about the topic of recasting. Um, you can go on social media and you can find every opinion under the sun about recasting. But I want to know, Philip, what's your opinion on recasting uh back in the early days of big finish uh there seemed to be uh an opposition to recasting almost uh it wasn't going to happen but now it's happening more and more um what are your thoughts on it well let, let me uh confess to a guilty secret which is from the time i was a very young age um, I used to watch a show called Days of Our Lives with my grandmother, which I still occasionally watch. And uh, the thing about American soapies is they have no issues whatsoever with recasting. And I quite regularly remember, you know, this new actor would suddenly appear on screen. And there'd be a little text below saying the role of so-and-so will now be played by this new actor. And you just got used to it. Because you know, the thing about soapies is the story continues with the characters. And the issue is not the actor, the issue is the character. We've become a lot more possessive now about actors and you know, we can't imagine any other actor playing the role. And yet with movies, we've actually got much better. At I mean, the Star Trek franchise has recast you know, Kirk and Spock and all those people and we've actually accepted that. I do think Doctor Who's been a little bit slow. Some Doctor Who fans have been a bit slow to accept recasting. And it, it's a choice we want to make. If we want stories, we want more stories of the early Doctors if we want more stories that involve Sarah Jane Smith or Harry Sullivan, if we, if we believe there's more stories to tell, we have to accept recasting. 
So, uh, yeah, I've, I was resistant. I mean, I resisted listening to the third Doctor series uh, for a long time because I wasn't thrilled about the recasting. Um, but you know what? I've actually got used to it. And if they're good stories, I don't think I care. And that is the point. That's the, that is 100% the point. As far as I'm concerned, if it's a good story, um, the recasting... Oh, because Big Finish have got a history now of doing it and doing it well. So, you know, occasionally, like, I, I really love Jacob Dudman. I love his ninth and 10th Doctors. He does them really well. I think he struggles a little bit on the 12th Doctor. But if we can't have Peter Capaldi, uh, it's still good to have a 12th Doctor story. He's got all the idiosyncrasies there. Um, Fraser Hines and Peter Purvis have done wonderful jobs as the first and second Doctors over the years. We've got some great recastings coming up with opportunities coming up for the the, the young War Doctor. What's that called? The War Doctor Begins, isn't it? That's yeah. coming up uh, in, a, in a few months' time. We've got uh, the third Doctor series, third Doctor series with the Brigadier and Sarah Jane Smith uh, recast. John Coleshaw is just—he's just sublime as uh, as the Brigadier. Um, Tim Trelaw has what are they up to? Box set six or seven now in the third Doctor range. Mm. Um, Tim Trelaw is just fabulous as the third Doctor. Um, I I think I, I prefer Tim Trelaw's third Doctor over John Coleshaw's. Um, cause you can, you can hear John Coleshaw's voice through every, uh, impersonation that he does. See, uh, I, every see character. I, I don't, I don't want set. I just don't want impersonations. I want people to adapt the character. And so I think it's important the cat, the actor. So, so, so I should use the word characterization rather than impersonation. I think so. So, so I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, John Coleshaw and, uh, Jacob Dubbin, both of them come the closest to doing, um, impersonations that then then but the other actors that have been cast um are much more in line with doing a characterization that so they pick up the key key characteristics of the character but then they're still making that character their own so i mean you know peter purvis's um first doctor doesn't really sound like william hartnell but he embodies what william hartnell was as a character mm. and mm. so it's that embodiment that i want in a recasting as opposed to an impersonation so as long as yeah. they, and, and that's why once again, cast good actors with good stories and they'll make it work. Absolutely. So um, for those who may be resistant, all I can recommend is pick an era that you have liked, give it a chance. If you don't like the story, that's fine, but at least you've given it a chance. And I think that is something that Big Finish is going to continue to do um, with, uh, with recasting. And I don't have a problem for, with it. I'm all for it. 100%. So uh, I think that's enough in this little rabbit hole. Let's climb out, Philip, and we'll have a listen to a trailer for The Blazing Hour, and then we'll come back with Ken Bentley. From Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, The Blazing Hour. Well, it's 10.25. Let's get this experiment underway. This planet is called Testament, the powerhouse of the human empire. You indigenous are always frightened of risk but if you don't take the risks you won't get the rewards safety is our top priority he's frozen in the wall that's a living person i have to tell you because i'm frightened 
I think this energy boost is going to cause the most appalling explosion anyone has ever seen. But if anything went wrong with the technology... I really think we've had enough of your negative attitude. Don't be too hard on him. He's from Offworld. I mean, look around. Does this seem to you like a safe form of technology? Testament is a completely safe source of energy. I won't be listening to any more of your opinions. You're a saboteur. All you deserve is summary execution. What we do here isn't about heat or fission. It involves the manipulation of time. Bending time. That's the secret of Testament technology, like the Leveson jar. What do you know about time? Time was supposed to make me rich. The effect will tear the time stream of the atom apart. You won't be able to control it. You'll get an infinite replication. That atom repeated in every moment of its history. This will mean the end for everyone. You're running light bulbs off the forces of the space-time continuum. You're sailing into a storm and your boat isn't built strongly enough to stand it. The roof ripped open and the sky full of fire. Testament consumed in a blazing hour. Get it under control, Mrs. Ellison. I can't! The explosion is coming now, and nothing can stop it. Big finish. We love stories. No! Go away! Get away from me! Doctor! So that was a trailer for The Blazing Hour, this month's Big Finish monthly release, the second last one ever. And we are very happy to to welcome the director of that story this month, Ken Bentley. Thanks for joining us on the Sirens of Audio. Uh, th- thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. Um, and uh, and I, before, I want to start off by saying I don't want to tag this on the end and, and out of modesty have you cut it. Um, thank you for everything you do. Um, the, the, one of the things I'm very aware of working in audio and audio drama is how solitary an experience it is for all of us, really, but also as a listening experience. It's not a shared experience like theatre or cinema. And podcasts like this, I think, are, are, are an essential part of the audio eco- ecosystem, connecting listeners and, and makers and giving us the opportunity to meet each other and talk about what we do. So thank you. Yeah, our pleasure. Uh, now, now back, oh, was it 2008? Um, I, I, what, the monthly release for then was, I think, The Death Collectors that I was listening to. And there might have been uh, some extras on the end. And was it? I didn't go back and check before we came on, but was it jointly directed by yourself and Nick Briggs, that story? Now, that's a really good trivia question. <laughs> I've got, I have a sneaking suspicion. That, that one's actually a no. I can answer that one. It is oh, a no, really? is it? But there is one that is, isn't there? Sorry, it's too long a pause, wasn't it? I'm was it the sure dark, I... dark Husband might have been jointly? I think the there first was one something. It was it was actually King, Kingdom of Silver. Okay. Cool. Yes. Cool. Yes. Um, I, I th- it may it may be, I could be wrong about this um, because this is going back a very long way. Um, but it, it may be the was K- Kingdom of Silver was the it was one of those rare main range releases where it was uh, three episodes with a with a single episode additional story, wasn't it? Is that right? I think that was during that period because there was a period of time when they did lots of three episode stories with one at yeah. the end. And I think it being my, f- I, it, I, could, I may have this wrong, but it could be that it being one of my first stories we co-directed. Um, I'd done a lot of shadowing of Nick and then being my first 
first audio. It could have been that we co-directed it, but it wasn't released first. Possibly. I don't know. I, I, um, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd have to go back and look at that. But yeah, I, I think, I think um, Death Collectors, I think that one was just me, Philip, wasn't it? Well, I was really confident it was because I am um, did did my research, <laughs> did my research, and um, I was pretty confident that was yeah that was the first one released and it was by yourself. And then the next one I noticed was you and Nick Briggs was were both listed. And then I, I was going to ask you that question, which was why was it the why case? Was and, that? There, and there were a couple others where you yeah, were both listed director. There have been along the way. Nick and I, um, I Nick and I go way back, and um, and we we get on very well we get along very well so and nick's incredibly busy i mean he has been for years but with big finish he's insanely busy and so what's what's happened um once or twice along the way is that he'll be working on a project and then just uh, a, a sheer volume of work will mean he needs a he needs a bit of hand with with something so he might um he might he might have prepped something got it all ready to go cast it and it's ready to go into the studio and then um, what's happened a couple of times in the past is he suddenly got a, a TV booking as the as the Daleks, and and so I've I've sort of stepped in just to cover the recording for him. And so depending on how that's happened and exactly the the, the sort of distribution of work between the two of us, sometimes he'll just hand it to me and say, "You do that one; it's yours." And other times we'll we'll split the credit. I think we split the credit on a on a few Sherlock Holmes as well, if memory serves. But I could be wrong. Or some short trips. There may have been some short trips as well. There's, there's some short trips, definitely. I saw that yeah. along the way. So there was a bit of a handover uh, period. So does that mean that you, you were learning the ropes at the time? Had you not done much um, uh, directing pro- previously? Well, I, I, I had directed previously. Nick and I met in, working in theatre. So I, I went to drama school. I trained as a director. And when I came out of drama school, I was, like most people, I was working as an assistant on a few productions and, and also directing small-scale shows of my own at the Edinburgh Festival, London Fringe, that sort of thing. And that's how Nick and I first met. And then when Nick took over as executive producer at Big Finish, um, one of the first things he did was was bring lots of other people on board to um to work with him people from the industry that he'd met and um and he phoned me up um out of the blue one day and said uh, I'd, I'd only been working in theater up to this point and he he phoned up and said do you, do you fancy directing some doctor who on audio and i said i've never directed audio before are you sure i'm the right person in a typical nick briggs fashion he said i wouldn't have phoned you and asked you if i didn't think you were the right person so, um, so that that was my introduction to audio, and then I, I um, as I say, I shadowed for a bit and just sort of sat in at the studio to see how it's all done because it's a it's a very quick turnover audio compared to probably any other medium actually. Um, even even I mean, you don't get rehearsals in TV anymore these days, but and rarely in film, but sometimes you do. But in theatre, you still get a decent rehearsal process. But in audio. You're in and you record a play in a day and you're out. It's um it's even quicker at Big Big Finish than most other um, audio production companies. Although most companies do it the way Big Finish do it these days, even even the BBC aren't aren't spending as much on on drama these days as they used to because it's quite a time consuming time consuming and expensive business. But but that sort of speed of turnover is something you've got to get used to. You've got to you've got to see how that works and and be comfortable working that quickly. And and making sure it's still an enjoyable process for everybody you don't want you don't want them to feel as if you're sort of rushing them in 
giving them one take and sending them home again. So um, there's a, there's a skill in doing that and keeping it light and fun for everybody. So I shadowed for a bit, and then after I shadowed for a while, started to dip into a few recordings. So what's on your CV before coming to Big Finish? Uh, also a few small scale. I'd written and directed a couple of things myself at the Edinburgh Festival and, and London Fringe, and I'd been assisting. One of the actually one of the things. I meant to um, chat with um, you guys about was uh, I assisted on a it was a, um, a a sort of transfer or revival of a very successful Australian production of The King and I, uh, and it, it it came to the UK and opened in the, the the London Palladium. It was recast, I think, completely. I think it may have been completely recast, but all the, the entire creative team and production team came from Australia and, and produced it in the West End, and I assisted on that. But I'm going back a while. This is this is about twenty years ago. So um, it's, I think it may have been on at the, at the Opera House again recently in the last few years. I say recently, um, within the last 10 years. But um, this, this one would have been a good 20, 20 odd years ago, I would have thought. I'm actually pretty sure I saw the production because they, it had a turntable. With the, yes. the um, Shall We Dance, yeah. the turntable yeah. span. And, they, exactly and, and as they danced, they just flew. Like I've never seen people yeah. fly as fast around the stage. Yeah, it's an incredible up. conceit, isn't it? Just just yeah. adding that that slow revolve really mm. makes them fly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I saw the production. <laughs> so there you go. Great. There we are. So I assisted on that, and that's how that's a normal entry into the business is is sort of um, working working as an assistant on productions like that. And then really, audio just became a huge tangent for me. Uh, um, Theatre was was the sort of journey up until Nick, Nick Briggs phoning and um, and ruining it all. I saw one of the plays you directed was The Speckled Band. Was that with Nick yes. Briggs? Yeah. She, yeah. Is that how you met? Yeah, exactly that. We were, I, I'd been, um, I, I produced that with a, a, a really good mate of mine, um, Andrew Dickens, who I'd, I'd met uh, at drama school. And um, we decided that that would be a, uh, uh, there's, uh, I could talk so much about, uh, uh, I'm going to go off on tangents with apologies in advance. That's the only, there's a story behind the script, the, the, the stage play um, of the Speckled Band, which is based on a uh, one of the, the stories called, I think, the Stoner Case. I think Conan Doyle changed the, the title, um, and it's one of the only adapt stage adaptations. I think it's the only stage adaptation he wrote himself. And we thought it'd be a re- we had this opportunity to do a small scale production in London, and we thought that would be a great play to do. And um, and we needed to find a Sherlock Holmes, uh, and. Uh, my mate Andrew had just been working with Nick Briggs at uh, Theatre Royal Nottingham in the thriller season they do there, which Nick Briggs has done for, for quite a few years. Doesn't do so much these days because he's quite busy, but it, he did it for a number of years. And um, and um, Andrew said Nick would be perfect. And Nick thankfully said yes. And um, we, we had a great time on that. It was really good. I enjoyed that production. I'm still fond of it. I'd love to do it again. It's a great, great play, although some people say it's not the, the, the best play, but it's a huge amount of fun. It's a, it's a great bit of lo- lots of humour. That was the, one of the things that surprised me about it is um, how, how amusing Doyle himself made one of his own stories. Um, and we stayed in touch ever since. That was a long time ago as well. It was probably 10 years before I started working for Big Finish. 10 years before Nick phoned me and said, um, do you fancy doing some audio? Um, and we just, I didn't, I hadn't worked with Nick since then, but we just stayed in touch over the years. I'm drinking buddies more than anything. So a lot of, a lot of the guys who work for Big Finish have come through fandom so does that mean that you're not so much a Doctor Who fan? You're more from the from the theatre business? 
Yes, yeah. Nick, Nick was Nick very consciously hired as many, um, if you like, professionals as he could. He he wanted the, the the quality of work's always been good at Big Finish, and he wanted to, as much as Big Finish was expanding, maintain that quality of work. So he was trying to find people in the business who who would be able to do a good job of what of what Big Finish do. Um, many are um, Doctor Who fans, as you know. Um, a, a lot of the writers, particularly, are, are big Doctor Who fans. Um, I'm very, um, I'm reluctant to use the word fan myself because I, I, I love Doctor Who. I grew up watching Doctor Who like everybody else. I lost touch with it during the, the wilderness years simply because not being a fan, I wasn't sort of you know, hung, hungry to find out what, what, what was going on elsewhere. Um, and I enjoy watching it now, although I haven't done it in the last few years for reasons I won't go into. Just a bit too busy. That wasn't a political observation. Just been too busy <laughs> recently to keep up with it. Um, so I love Doctor Who and, and uh, by osmosis working with Big Finish. I, you know, I know a reasonable amount of Doctor, about Doctor Who. Um, but I don't use the word fan myself simply because I think um, it, it, you, for me, uh, being a fan of something requires a certain amount of knowledge uh, of, that, of that area. And I don't have that knowledge. So it would be, it, I think it would be um, wrong of me to describe myself as a fan because um, other fans would expect a certain level of knowledge from me that I don't have. Just in, I'm curious in terms of preparation, in terms of the director, from stage to audio. So <clears throat> what, 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 what things are the same in terms of how you prepare a script for performance and... Yeah, for both stage and audio. Yeah, I mean, in in terms of scripts, it's the same whatever you're doing, really, because there are there are sort of um, the 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 scripts, the process of deconstruction that you 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 apply when you're working on a script is the same, whatever the script is for, whatever medium it's for, and it's the same whether you're a, a an actor, a director, a, an editor, sound designer, whatever you do, it's that, that process of analysis is the same really in terms of script work. Um, it, it's, um, I was going to say scheduling where it's different, but even scheduling is very similar. It's, um, it's, it's just a, a much shorter period of time that you're scheduling for i know that sounds obvious when when you say it out loud but it 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 comes it comes with its own um idiosyncrasies and additional complexities because of that because you're trying to schedule into such a short period of time but you're still trying to do the same things um it's like although lockdown has changed this slightly but um, we can come to that but it's um you 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 try not to you try not to bounce around the story too much because it's just a headache for everybody to work out where they are. It, it's it's very actually uh, no audio and theatre are probably quite similar in terms of how you would schedule rehearsals in theatre and how you schedule a recording on audio. Film and television completely different because you're doing it by location. You don't want to keep going back to a location. So, so broadly speaking, in a film. You'll do all the scenes in that location in one block, then you'll move on to another location. Um, we don't have to worry about that, so we can bounce around between locations. But what I, what we try to do in theatre and in audio is is not have people have to um, sort of come and go too often. So you'll try to schedule blocks of time with the same group of people, so you can get a good amount of work done with them before you. You give them a break and then work on the next group of people. So you try you try to minimise the number of times people are having to come in and out. 
because that coming in and out, whether it's commuting to a rehearsal room or even just coming from the green room into the studio, that uses time. So if you can if you can minimise the number of people you've got coming and going, then you, you, you've got more time to, to rehearse or record a play. So that's really the sort of scheduling, the skill to scheduling is just to try to get those those blocks, nice clear blocks of time with people. It isn't always possible because of depending on the budget and people's availabilities, you might only have an actor for one day of a two day recording. And so you have to make sure you get things done in a certain way. But broadly speaking, you try to keep it as simple for everybody as possible. I guess, I guess I'm keen to see just your creative process in the preparation of a script before. I know there's all that scheduling stuff and casting will come into two but early on when do you first get a script at what point are you are you involved with that when you get the script how do you prepare it what's your thinking process to start working through how you're going to make these written words come alive it's um it depends it depends how a big finish or it it, well in in theater you do normally it's a uh if it's a revival, it's a script off the shelf. So you just pick up a finished script. And often these days at Big Finish, that's that's what happens. I get I just get sent the completed script ready, the final draft ready for studio. Um, do you, do the, you get to make any notes at all on it beforehand then? You, you don't well, meet with the it, writer, you don't make notes? It it depends. The, the, it, it depends how busy we are. We, we've, we've went, historically, back, back at when, when I first started to work, regularly for Big Finish. When I first started to work for Big Finish, it was the main range and pretty much nothing. Main range, Companion Chronicles, Bernice Summerfield. That was probably it, wasn't it? 2008? Yep. yep. Pretty pretty much. So you're talking with main range, it was 13 releases a year, I believe, if, if, if I'm right, because I always thought it was 12, but they keep telling me there was always an extra one or something for some reason. Yep, there's 13 a year. Is that right? Yep. So, and, um, so that, and they, they were two hours long. So 26 hours of Main range Doctor Who. 20, 20, and how many Companion Chronicles were there a year? Do you know? There's 12 of those. 12. So, and they were an hour long. Yes. So, thir- so th- with, with, one, thir- with one two-hour one thrown in. 38. So four, 40 hours a year. Is that right? My maths is terrible. Is that, that's about 40 hours of dra- audio drama a year, isn't it? I think. Yep. Sounds good to All me. In. Something like that. Give or take. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I believe last conversation I had with... Um, with David about this, it's well over 300 hours a year now. So it's just in the time I've been at Big Finish, um, which in the, the, the sort of life of Big Finish is a reasonably short period of time, um, the, the output's grown massively. So when I first started working for Big Finish, I'd, I'd be in quite early doors. The, the, I wouldn't be in on, on initial discussions, but early drafts would be sent to me and I'd be able to have a read and, and, and sort of feedback a bit. Um, and it's mostly just catching things that in the development process slip through. It's proofreading um, broadly, but but not not just typo. It's sort of, sort of story proofreading where something might happen in a scene that um, no longer makes any sense because it was connected to something else that, that has been been cut in a previous draft. That's that kind of thing. Um, so I used to do that quite a lot in the early days. Um, and then on things like... Uh, Doom Coalition, for example, um, we that that was that was day one. We, we David and I were were talking. David and I, when we were recording in studios, used to meet at Paddington Station and walk to the walk to the studio together, which is about a half an hour walk, and just chat, uh, chat, 
about domestic things, but also about work and what we might what we might do next. And Dean Coalition was the the result of one of those walks into the studio over a few days. So for Dean Coalition, I was in on a, a very early doors on that one. I think I script edited that one, and um, and we were brief. We knew we David and I planned the entire series. We knew what we wanted the series to be in broad strokes, and then we were we were working out who we wanted to tell various stories along the way. Um, and giving them the freedom to tell a story as well within the um, within the sort of bookends that we needed to make the series work. Um, so that was I was in very early on on that development process and very involved with each script. The busier Big Finish has become, the less of that I do. Um, it got to the point. I can't remember when it was. Now it was probably when was the last thing I wrote for Big Finish? I can't remember. It must be a good three or four years ago don't know but about about three or four years ago thing I don't know why now things got really really busy I can't remember exactly what it was oh do you know what it might have been the new series it may it may have coincided with that new series license whereas with Big Finish had been only doing classic who prior to that and then they got the opportunity to do new series who as well and it just the 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 production schedule just exploded from that point on and I I said to um David that and what was happening was I was getting um I was becoming a, a big finish because it's such a massive turnaround you've got to be part of the solution not part of the problem and I was I was so busy that I was becoming part of the problem because I wasn't getting I wasn't finishing scripts I was writing quickly enough I wasn't getting around to reading scripts and giving feedback on other people's writing quickly enough um so I was just becoming part of the problem from in the development process so I said to David I've just got to stop I've just got to stop doing that because there's so much that needs doing it's starting to impact on the directing I'm doing and what Big Finish needs is a lot of directing doing Uh, so I said just the directing I can do by that point I'd been doing I'd done it quite a lot and I'm I sort of know what I'm doing with it so I can under pressure, we can still deliver when we know we've suddenly got, for whatever logistical reason, a screamingly urgent deadline. I know I can still do it. Um, and they and Big Finish were in a position where that needed doing. So I just said, look, I'll, I'll stop writing. I'll stop script, script editing. Just give me the finished scripts and, and, I, and I can keep on top of this production process that we've got now. And so that's that's been it for the last few years, really. I, I can't remember the last time I got involved early, early, early doors um, on a script. I normally get finished, get given the final draft, and that and that's what I take into production. And you know, we'll do a few little little tweaks along the way, but but as I say, only only catching little things. Or a lot of the actors we work with, have, 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 uh, they created these characters. They're very familiar with these characters, so they know they know what they would do and say in a given set of circumstances. So often in the studio, they'll say, "This line's not really for this character. Can I tweak it a bit?" So we'll we'll make little little adjustments along the way for for those sorts of things. Are you involved? Are you involved um, with casting decisions, or is it a joint decision with David? Or uh, I it, again d- depends on how busy we are. But broadly speaking, I do all my own casting, and at Big Finish, that's that's one of the requirements of being a director. You do all your own casting, um, and I quite enjoy casting. It's one of the things I enjoyed in, in theatre as well. You get it's um, it's if you get the casting right. That's most of the hard work done. The right actor in the right role 
and it, it's it, it, it makes the rest of the process um, effortless and enjoyable for everybody. So, so I, I quite enjoy. I, I, it's a, a particular puzzle in the process that I enjoy. So, um, so, so yeah, I do the vast majority of my casting again, except when we're really busy, um, uh, which we have been recently. And David often does um, casting for me. Sometimes we'll do it together. He'll make suggestions. I'll make suggestions. Um, other times um, he'll just take it off my hands and say, "We need to do this one urgently. I'm happy to do the casting for you." And he's he's done that on a recording I'm doing next week. Um, and it's a lovely company of actors. He's got a, he's got a very good ear and a good eye for for casting. So I'm always perfectly happy to um, to let David do the casting. Did you have another question on on scripts, Phil? Yeah, there that. was something, wasn't there? Go on. Um, well, casting is going to be part of it. Just in terms of you get your script really through a couple of times. Um, what's what's next? Obviously, breaking it down is an important part for the day. Yeah, that that's um, it, it's 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 such a there's never a it's such a turnover of work that I, I, there's there there is sort of a there's a basic process, but I, 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 the order may change depending on how busy we are and and um, and what, what needs to happen first. But broadly speaking, um, you, you read you read it and you work out who you want to be in it. Um, uh, alongside that, um, I'll, I'll be doing a scene breakdown and a, and a rough schedule so I know um, how many days I need people for. So, for example, on a, um, on a uh, let's say, a, um, Eighth Doctor, which is a four-story box set, so it's a four-day recording. Sometimes they're very standalone stories. Other times the stories might... might interconnect a lot more um and so i'll i'll have to work out whether whether i need a guest actor for four days or only one day and i need to know that before i book them before i start talking to agents so i'm sort of cast i'm, I'm sort of doing scene breakdowns and schedules alongside working out who who i'd like to who i'm thinking of for the roles um and then once we know our dates are fixed this is the one thing about about big finish the, the dates are always booked around the, the availability of the leads so recording dates are always fixed. So when it comes to casting additional actors, um, it's a bit of a straitjacket. We can't, we, we, if, if an actor isn't available, we, we just have to look elsewhere, sadly. Um, and, they're one, and often they're one-day recordings. So trying to find a one-day opportunity in the, in the calendar of an incredibly busy actor, it, it can be quite, quite difficult. So often I, I, won't just, I won't just have a, I won't just think of one person for each role. I'll come up with a short list for each role. Um, uh, and then it's a case of, of going through that, that negotiation with agents, phoning up, finding out who's available, sending them all the information, seeing if they're interested. So has Stranded become a bit of a nightmare? Because, I mean, Paul McGann had these two companions. You already had your three leads. You've yeah. now introduced a much larger cast. Yeah. Is that, is that become a nightmare for scheduling and, and making sure you can get your cast there? Do you know what it 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 um yes. it, it, co it co well it <laughs> coincided with lockdown so so no but but um it, had lockdown not happened it it may have been a bit trickier yeah because I mean, there's so many other things we could, we will talk about um in, in, in relation to that but but for example at the moment um. Uh, I mean, we, we've had instances where where um, Paul's been been filming or on tour, 
Um, uh, 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 I, I know that Nicholas filming at the moment. I know that Hattie's availability. Uh, well, Hattie wouldn't be available at the moment um, if if we were recording in normal circumstances. Um, but the 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 great thing about lockdown is is the of all of the of all of the uh, of film tv theater and audio you can still do audio who knew that the audio drama would be the the perfect medium for a pandemic but um it, it was touch and go initially where we thought okay how's this going to work can we do this but we worked out how to do it and it's a brilliant system um it's i would i would argue pretty much as good as being in a studio there are a couple of a couple of reasons why it's not and again we can we can chat about those but it's it's pretty much we, we're getting recording quality that's as good as uh, as being in a studio um and the experience of recording is as good a, as being in a studio um but even better than that it doesn't matter where people are in the world so w- w- i've been recording with people in in the u.s greece we're recording uh, with somebody in Vietnam, uh, New Zealand. We've been recording with people all over the world now. And we couldn't have done that before. It just wouldn't... If somebody had... If I had phoned and asked somebody's availability and they said, oh, yeah, sorry, they're, they're, they're in Greece at the moment. They're stuck in Greece at the moment. That would have been it. We would have had to go elsewhere. But, but now we've got this system up and running, connecting somebody... Well, even us doing this. It's it's just it's a doddle, isn't it? It's easy now. So it's well, that been... brings us to the that brings us to the blazing hour, doesn't it? Because you would have recorded Mark Strickson in New Zealand for that one, yeah. wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. And he, and bless him, he's been brilliant over the years. You know, he's because he travels a lot because of his work anyway. Um, so he's always been in the UK at some point, and it's always been possible to record with him. But but and I'm sure he misses traveling because he, he I know he loves traveling and he loves his work, but. So he's probably he's probably hating every minute of being stuck at home, poor thing. But but it, yeah, it's brilliant. It's much. It's easy. It's great. I mean, he's in the business anyway. So for him to pop into a studio, record what he needs to record, and get it over to us has been has been a doddle. Yeah. I was actually wondering whether with the Blazing Hour, whether Turler was originally scripted to be the cast member in terms of the companion. That I don't know. I, okay. I couldn't tell you because it, it. I. 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 The. These days, I am literally just. Um, I don't even know what I'm booked in for. Da- David. David only tells me when he's got the dates in the diary and and knows it needs recording, and then he phones me up and and says it's these dates. Is that okay? So. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not sure. I don't know. Interesting. I don't. I, the, how. This is. This is why I can't call myself a fan because I, I know all the doctors. I know all the companions. Um, and I enjoy working with them all, but the, they come to me in random combinations. And I know there's a reason for it. I know that, that sort of chronologically, there's a reason why this doctor is with this companion at this time and not another companion. Um, but I don't, I don't know those reasons. So they just, they, they come to me in, in random combinations sometimes. It's almost felt like they've been doing a lot of symmetry with ending the monthly range. And I, I must admit, I was kind of expecting this and Peter to be, to, you know, Sarah and Peter to be together because they did the first one together. And, you know, Sylvester and, Sylvester and um, Sophie did their last one together. And there's sort of been the symmetry running through the end. Okay. So, I was, so I was just, yeah. So I was, I was wondering can, whether... Can I did... just, can I correct you there, Philip? I thought that Mark 
Strixon was in the in the second story. No, wasn't which, Phantasmagoria. Which... Phantasmagoria was number two, wasn't it? So it is very symmetrical. I was oh. thinking the same thing. I'm thinking, yeah, symmetrical. Um, we've got Sirens of Time was a multi-doctor story, and and uh, we've got a multi-doctor story to end. Uh, the th- number three in the monthly range was a six doctor story and they've sort of gone backwards for that last three i'm you sure could... it was i'm positive it was turlo in in number two okay i'll believe you we've got to look it up as well <laughs> but i will believe you <laughs> i have just absolutely just, just ignore no us ken. just ignore us I'd... ken <laughs> different language now couldn't I, I i can't help chaps you're on your own sorry <laughs> The Blazing Hour had some interesting uh, themes that went through it. There was, I thought it was a fantastic uh, sort of contemporary but sci-fi element in there with with power generation, which was a, I thought it was a great idea, fantastic. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know how much James Kettle's done. I haven't seen his name too often, but um, he's, he's done a pretty good story there. He's a, he's a bit of a find. He's done he's done a couple. I can't remember. I'm I'm pretty. The the thing is, I I, I find it. I, I it's difficult for me to talk about um, the, the the work I do because I'm often what I'm. I can talk about what I'm working on now, but some of it isn't going to be released for two years. Uh, other things are going to be released next month. I, I don't know what the release schedule is because I'm just focusing on what I'm recording now. So I know I've worked on James Kettle scripts prior to Blazing Hour, but it's possible they've just not been released yet. Um, he's done a couple of things with Big Finish now. He's do, he's he, I've I've just I've just started work on another of his, um, which is brilliant, and I'm um, really good fun, and I'm looking forward to everybody hearing that one. But he is still fairly new. Um, but he's he's done quite a lot in a short period of time. So there's going to be more from James. He's a brilliant writer. He's a, he's written a lot of comedy. Um, and I was talking to Nick the other day about this, actually, and he was saying that, that he, co- writers of comedy tend to be a good fit for Doctor Who, surprisingly. Not that it's overtly comedic all the time, but they just tend to get, they just tend to get it uh, and get and, and, and pitch it right. Um, uh, and some of some of the scripts James has, has got coming up are are much more overtly comedic, uh, which is great. Uh, I mean, it, and in a range where that's appropriate. Um, but yeah, he's he's a bit of a find, and um, and we we've all really enjoyed um, Blazing Hour. Even every now and then, I know I know when I know when it's a good one because Nick listens to everything. And he's always listening to things to, to find out what to feature in the Big Finish podcast. Um, and I know when it's a good one because Nick will always ping me and David a text when he's listening to it for the podcast. And, it, and, just, and he'll say, I'm just listening to this. It sounds really good. Um, and he did with Blazing Hour. So, yeah, we're, we're, really, we're all really, really pleased with how that one came together. Really proud of it. But, yeah, interesting. There are some, there are some themes in there. It, it's sort of a historic, if it's looking back at anything, it's looking back at historic events, which Doctor Who does very well. Um, we do have to be careful about how, uh, we have to be careful about how politically we are in a contemporary sense. So if we're, uh, because we, 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 we can't be, we can't be seen to be um, critical of current events. So we have to be very careful about, uh, uh, about what's, we do pay attention to what's happening in the news uh, in order to make sure that we're not reflecting that too, too overtly in any scripts. And we have tweaked scripts to, um, to deal with, with those sorts of things that have cropped up. 
I am remembering a play called Sarcophagus when I was younger, which is all about Chernobyl. Mm-hmm. And there were some very similar themes I thought running yeah. through that play and this this work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Doctor Who's done that. It, it, it's it's often it's often looked back at at an event, uh, a historic event, uh, and then found a, a, a sort of a sci-fi spin on it, a science fiction way of telling that story. So it's become a bit more allegorical, I think. But but James has done a lovely job of that. So it's it's got it's it's entertaining. It, it, it's a it's a great fun adventure. But if if you want it to be a political piece of storytelling, it, it has those layers. If you want them to be there, from Big Finish Productions, the Eighth Doctor Adventures, Stranded Two. I've got her back, my TARDIS, and I will go. TARDIS is starting to heal. A paradox took hold. We could be looking at a whole new aberrant timeline. And the best thing I can do to explain, Tanya, is to take you with me. Really? You're you're inviting me along? This stuff, time travel. It's a bit of a balancing act, like one of those 3D puzzle games. You don't want to pull out the wrong piece in case the entire universe stops existing completely. Which is something I've literally seen happen. This is unbelievable! Get us out of here. We'll be blown to bits. Oh, Grace, everybody, Grace! Now, it's time we told them about who we really are. We need to find the right moment. I wonder what the brig would make of all this. I don't want to get a bus home when there's a time machine right here. Well, we all have to be somewhere. This is as good a place as any. Hmm? Big finish. We love stories. He's a big chap over six foot, built like a gorilla. Unusually strong and surprisingly hairy. Oh, hurrah. It's a great big space ape. Let's get this over with then. So what are you finding the major differences directing in studio compared to directing now online? Um, It's very similar, actually. There's There's not a... There's, there's not a huge amount in terms of directing. There's not a huge amount that's different. The only thing I'd say, sorry, I'm pausing just to try and work out whether exactly there is any significant difference. The the, the prime my belief about directing is the pri- the primary the most important thing you do as a director is make sure everybody's enjoying the work they're doing. And, and you do that by casting the right people in the right roles, scheduling so that the schedule makes sense to everybody and is really easy to follow, giving people the opportunity to have enough breaks um, rather than just working them to the bone uh, and making sure it's, it is fun and enjoyable during the day. So that, that's your sort of primary requirement, because if people are enjoying themselves, you get the best work out of them. Um and so lockdown recording, that's that's a relatively easy in the studio because you've got a green room, you're feeding people. Um, you, you know, actors are always very good at getting along with other actors. So if they're if they're in the green room having fun, then that's that's most of the hard work done. Obviously, you don't have that um, when everybody's at home. So if somebody's on a break, you know, they're they're probably um, they've got their feet up on the sofa watching Netflix. Um, so. Um, it, there is a there's a bit of additional work in um, in making sure that when we're all online and talking, we're 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 still enjoying doing the work. So we probably take a bit more time. Actually, yeah, I 
I'd say the the because we don't have breaks together, which is normally when we'd all have a bit of a laugh and and lark about and then get back into the studio to carry on working again. Because we don't have those breaks together, we probably spend a bit more time on microphone in the studio having fun. Not not just working, but actually having a chat, catching up. And and that, that sort of impacts on the schedule a little bit. So I'm, uh, but I want people to have that opportunity to catch up with each other and, and crack a few jokes and have a bit of fun. So... So there is the days are probably slightly longer. Um, what's the we, most? We would, what's the most? Go on. Sorry. What's the, what's the most people you can actually put together into? Well, those yeah, that, space. It's similar numbers, or is it much yeah, more reduced? It is it, broadly speaking, it's similar, but that that is that's one thing I would say is a bit different. We've we've always been traditionally we've been restricted by the number of microphones we can fit in a studio. So we've we've generally. It always used to be, um, I think it was six people, wasn't it? I think it was no more than six people in a scene. Um, and every now and then it, we might stretch it a bit. Um, you can get it, you could kind of get away with it in the studio because even if you only had six microphones, but there were eight people in a scene, uh, it may be that you didn't have all those eight people in on the same day anyway. So you were recording the scene twice across two different days. So you would do six people on one day and four people on another day, but bolt it together and it would be eight. Even though you've recorded 10 people across two days, you would get the eight voices you need for that scene. So it was always possible to do a few more. But um, lockdown has been great for me from that point of view, because I, I, I don't have to worry about how I how I manage those logistics. If there are eight people in the scene, I can have eight people in the scene. So it's been quite. It's, there are as as much as there are some technical, some additional technical things to consider recording in lockdown and recording people from home. It has also equally freed us up in new ways. Now, a couple of times you've had the opportunity to write. Um, I I pulled out the island of Doctor Moreau today and mm. I listened to that, which is uh, a story that you directed and adapted. Yeah. Um, did what? What was the process in in adapting that one? Because um, I, there there was was it hard to do? There were some of those stories in the H. G. Wells range that um, some of the writers said, well, they were very difficult to adapt because you're trying to do it as close to the book as possible. Yeah. Um, do you recall how that one worked for you? Yeah, it's a feature of the the, the um, big finish. It's the it's they call that range the classics, don't they? Is that right? Classics range. Yeah. yeah. Um, a feature of that range has always been that the adaptations are are very um, faithful to the, to the to the source, um, as much as possible as you can within sort of running times, because obviously some novels are in, in uh, are big, are long, um, and we've only got fairly short fixed running times in comparison. Um, so, so some can be tricky for that point of, for that reason some can be tricky um, just logistically in terms of trying to tell a story on audio um, Invisible Man for example was an interesting one when we first considered doing that um, ha- the Island of Dr Moreau was uh, to be honest I f- it was um, fairly straightforward really I think in its in its um, 
in its adapting. It was um, it's a fairly short novel, more of a novella really than a novel. So I had that on my side. As is often the case, I find with with um, Nick, uh, novels of that period, they 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 can they they can be a bit repetitive sometimes. You tend to find them. Um, circling back over something they've already done, and you've, I found that with Moreau, where he he sort of he he went th- he went through a similar experience a couple of times. So I thought, well, in storytelling terms, on audio, we really only need to take that journey once. Um, so it was it was quite a straightforward process to to sort of the adapting process is is much like preparing a script for for recording. You deconstruct it first. You go through and you break it down into its into its into its sort of um, components, component parts, um, in order to to work out what's going on uh, and understand the story and what's going on. Um, and once you've deconstructed the, the novel, you then reconstruct it in, in a in it for a new medium. Uh, and so you 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 reconstruct it uh, in terms of. Um, uh, a, a structure over the running time you have, um, and and then thematically what 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 needs to be in, what needs to stay in, um, and how you how you if you need to adapt that for audio. That's those are the those are the sorts of basic hurdles you go through when you when you're adapting for something something existing for audio. Um, and as I say, Moreau was was uh, I, I probably had the. Out of all of those H.G. Wells adaptations, the, um, one of the easiest tasks, I think. The, the more it was, it, in many, I mean, it was. It's quite. Its themes are quite dark, so it's probably a lot more adult than than a lot of the the Doctor Who we do. But but it it had compared to many of the others, it had apart from the time machine being the obvious one, I suppose. Although that was one of the tricky ones. Um, Moreau, there are a lot of similarities to with Moreau, I think, to what we normally do at Big Finish. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, the island of Dr. Moreau. We're sinking! You were picked up in a boat, very nearly dead. Montgomery's the name. Brendick, I take it you know the destination of this vessel? The island ahead of us, where I live. So far as I know, it hasn't a name. I'm itching to get to work with this new stuff. First, the problem of an uninvited guest. What do you propose we do with him? We certainly can't take him into our confidence just yet. Those things are an abomination. To this day, I have never trembled about the ethics of the matter. (laughs) Yes, we have him now. He's heading for the Cape. We might pin the wretched brute into a corner of the island. What were those things? Were they beast or were they man? Grotesque looking creatures. Evil are the punishments of those who break the law. None escape. Damn you! Must I lock you up and throw away the key? Never! Thank God, Prendick. The brute's loose. We must go after him. Keep away! I'm warning you! Big finish. We love stories. Cool. So, I don't know whether you differentiate between four-part stories like the monthlies have been or whether uh, they all seem the same to you, but over the years you've done lots and lots of 
monthly stories. Uh, are there any that stand out to you over those 12 or so years that you've done? Yeah, there are. There, <laughs> do you know, there are, but not for probably not for reasons I can discuss with, with you both in a, in a public <laughs> forum. Um, there are, I, I, I tend to, it, for me, the, things, things have stood out more for the experience of, of working on them necessarily than the than the, the sort of release itself the story itself and and the the, the and there have been periods of time it, it, that stand out for me and and really it's, it sounds it's a bit of a cop-out because I it sounds like a cop-out and I don't I don't want to publicly name any favorite production in case I upset a writer or sound designer or or actor it isn't that it's just that honestly I've I've made I've been lucky enough been fortunate enough to to um make and record so many plays that that it, it's it, a lot of it is a blur. I would I would struggle to name the vast majority of them. I I have a, I have a um a very uh, small capacity hard drive, so I delete information in order to um, keep on top top of what I'm working on currently. Um, so it's periods of time that are always the the most sort of noticeable to me. And there was a big shift in in the main range. I don't, you'll be able to tell me exactly when it was, but the the, the 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 moment of change for me came when Matt Fitton came on board, um, and it, it was uh, it, it it was prior to that we'd probably broadly speaking been working with the same team of people for a long period of time, even pretty much since Big Finish started. And Matt Fitton was a was a he'll there'll be a point in the, in the future I think where Big Finish is discussed in terms of the period of time before Matt Fitton and the period of time after because he represented a new writer coming in who was brilliant with a load of new ideas and he he really for me it felt like the main range got a kick up the backside when when Matt came on board and it wasn't just Matt Matt then brought loads of other new writers along with him he sort of opened the door he proved it was possible. Um, and he's been very good since then at finding other new writers um, and 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 giving them opportunities at Big Finish. So so he's always been a bit of a sort of um, a, 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 a clear moment of change for me, if you like, in the in the, the sort of growth of of actually not just the main range but, but Big Finish generally. And really, it, he was might that have been around? I'd have to look this up. Might that have been around the fiftieth anniversary? Was he a bit before the fiftieth fiftieth anniversary? Before that, I would have thought. Yeah, he might have been, mightn't, mightn't he? So it was around then, and again. I think he started script editing from about number two hundred and one, didn't he? Okay. Didn't Alan Barnes do two hundred, Philip? Off the top of my head. Yes. Yeah, so he would have come after that, I would say, and I can't remember off the top of my head what year that was. No. But I, but there was a definite change of tone, and there, there was a lot of when Big Finish was promoting itself, they were talking about a new jumping on point. Yeah, was that yeah. two hundred and one story number two hundred and one okay. jump on here, and it worked really well. I, I still recall. I'm not a huge Dalek fan, but that first story was called "We Are the Daleks," I think, and I really enjoyed that story. I don't know if you worked on that one, Ken, but um, oh, I don't yeah, think that so. was I a don't good. Recognise the time. So one mm. one fifth is the first one is listed as, which is recorded time and other stories. Mm-hmm. So that's his first, which is August two thousand eleven. Okay. And they did some countermeasures, black and white. Yeah, you um, see, that's that's that actually that's what it that's what it was. It was there was a real 
expansion across so many new ranges at that time when when Matt came on board. And it was, I think up to that point, we were, we were probably sort of at capacity in terms of the amount that was being produced and the number of people there were to produce it. And, 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 and Matt sort of signaled that new opportunity of there being so many more people out there who, and it was probably a combination of things. It was probably a combination of Big Finish achieving enough of a profile for other people to sort of recognize it, see what it was and and be enthusiastic about about working with Big Finish too, rather than, than not knowing what it was. It, it sort of became a recognizable thing. And it was all, that was all happening. It happened really quickly over a, a sort of short period of time. Um, and, and it, and yeah, it was all around when Matt joined. So that's always, a, that's always been a big sort of, as I say, big signpost for me in the, in the, uh, along the, along the journey. Yeah. And, uh, next month you're directing the, the final in the, in the I, monthly range you, too, which what, you're not what, allowed to tell us about, but. <laughs> no, prob- I'm sure I'm, I'm not. Um, and it, it's, uh. I think I'm just about signing off on it. Got the very final edits to listen to, which I'll be doing probably after I um, finish speaking with with you chaps. Um, so yeah, that's nearly done. And and you know, typically, uh, and I'm I'm so the sh- the schedule is so um, sort of continuous, and I'm bouncing around so many different things that, that at the point of working on the end of the beginning, I didn't really appreciate what I was working on. Even though it's called the end of the beginning, I should have known, shouldn't I? Um, but I didn't really, I didn't really appreciate it. I didn't really understand what it was. So I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I'm, it's a, it's a privilege to be asked to, um, to do it. Uh, it's a great story. Love the story. Really good fun. So I hope everybody yeah. likes it. But we really enjoyed yeah, recording wait. it. So. How long are you actually working with a piece for? So from the time you get the script until you sign off on the final edit, what's yeah. that time period are you working on it? And how many? And how many are you working at the same time, overlapping? Oh blimey, that's a really good question. Uh, wow. Okay. How many things? How many things are you working at today? Signing off on on next month's release, but what Can else I, are you working? Don't tell us what you, you're working on. But have how you many got things? time? Have you got time for me to open my spreadsheet? I would love you to. Yeah. <laughs> I'll open my spreadsheet and I'll tell you. Um, uh, let's start with. Screen, let's, do you want me to give you screen share? Op, uh, no, I can't. I can't share. No, no. You know I can't share it with you. Nice try, though. Nice try. Um, the uh, the in terms of period of time while that's opening up. Um, the there it is. What day are we now? Fourteenth Valentine's Day. Oh, it is. Happy Valentine's Day, guys. Oh, you too. My love to you both. And are we all loving our wives at the moment? Yes. Oh, of course. I'm not married, so no. But I'm loving my partner. Um, where are we? End of uh, mid, mid, mid. So I've just done that, and I've just done that, and I've delivered that. Oh, and I've done that, so I'm... Oh, yeah, I'm there. Okay, fine. To answer your first question, where are you both? I've lost you, Zoom. There you are. To answer your first question, uh, how long does it take? Depends entirely on the project, the range and the deadline. So shortest period of time. Um, I think it's I think David would say uh, ideally we're giving writers about three months to write the script. At the point it's written, it can go into the studio and be recorded very quickly. Sometimes it is. Um, And if it's needed really urgently, then um, again, it's normally something like three to six months in post-production as a as a minimum 
um, because the post-production process is what the sound designers do in post-production is just alchemy. Um, that's where all the hard work, we, we have all the fun, they do all the hard work. Um, and they get they get given a decent amount of time to do it because it's an incredibly um, complex job that, that, that they do. Um, so I, I suppose in answer, what would that be? Six to nine months minimum. Sometimes we've done it quicker than that when we've, for various logistical reasons, had to get something out sooner. Um, so we have been quicker than that. But I, I would I would say probably as a minimum six months. As a maximum, sometimes we're getting really ahead of the curve and we've recorded things that aren't being delivered for um, uh, two, three years. So just looking at my schedule, I've recorded something which is supposed to be in post-production soon. Um, I think. Let me have a look. Oh, I've got something that's in post-production at the very end of this year that I recorded in 2017. Right. So... So wow. four, four, years four, four years, yeah. So, no, and a begin, no, beginning of 2017. Yeah. Beginning of 2017, so more, more like five years. Sorry, say that again? Do you even remember it by that point then? <laughs> no. Back to you? No, so I, it comes back to me very quickly. I always, When I'm listening to edits, I always first pass on listening to an edit. I've always got the scripts open next to me. And my script's full of all my annotations from when I was recording the play. So I'll always, um, I'll always be, and it's not just to compare it, it's to remind me what was going on in the studio when we recorded it. So I'll know when I hear a particular line, whether we've got a pickup of it or which, which take of that I wanted to use and whether we're using that one. So it's just that that's my sort of reminder as to what we did when we, when we recorded it. Um, but actually, to be honest with you, it's, kind of, it's sort of not a problem. Sometimes a bit of, a bit of distance like that is quite useful. It's quite nice to come fresh to something and listen, listen to it anew um, and, and sort of be, be surprised by some of the things um, people did in the studio. So it's, it's quite nice. Do you often do much to alter performances? Because I assume you can uh, change pacing a bit. Yeah, yeah the, um, the, the, the one thing we, that's the one thing we do. Sorry, I, I keep interrupting your questions. I'm so sorry. Um, I've just got, it's, it's just excitement. Um, uh, the, um, the one thing we don't do in the studio, uh, or I don't do in the studio, is worry too much about, um, not so much pacing, but, but specific timings. So if, if a scene needs to be energetic, then then obviously I'll try I'll try to make it energetic. But but little things like um, one character interrupting another character, if in the studio that interruption is just a little bit late, uh, it could have come in sooner as a as an interruption. As long as the the as long as the interruption that the actor who's doing the interrupting gives us sounds like they're interrupting, much like I'm doing, Philip. Every time you ask ask a question, as long as they sound like they're interrupting then we can tighten it up in post-production. We, we, we just pull it. We don't just even pull it together. Sometimes we'll overlap it. So the interruption comes sooner than... I've covered the microphone so you can't hear me. Um, so the interruption comes sooner than the, the point where, where the other character stops speaking. So yeah, lot, we do lots of that sort of thing in post-production. And sometimes with whole scenes, we'll just listen to it and we'll just say, do you know what? That feels as if the whole thing needs to be a bit tighter. So we'll just pull up, we'll, we'll pull up all the cues so there's 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 so everybody comes in literally on cue with every line. So there are all sorts of little little things we do, little adjustments we can make in post production with scenes, and 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 yeah, and sometimes for for various reasons, technical reasons, particularly with lockdown recordings, 
one of one of the problems with lockdown recordings is you can get glitches, internet dropouts on a recording. And we won't, it might be one that we just don't pick up on the day. We, we didn't hear it on the day and it's in the middle of a line and it just means we can't use that line. So we'll, and by cutting one line, sometimes it means you've actually got to cut a couple of speeches because it has a knock-on effect. So there'll be all sorts of reasons why in post-production we, we, we sort of fiddle around with bits, with things a little bit. And sometimes even sequences, you know, you, you can... For all the right reasons, it was it was written that way round, and it works a treat and sounds great. But then in post production, you realise actually, if you do it that way round, it really works. So we'll 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 have a little we'll have a little play every now and then. Not all the time. These are just once in a blue moon. You think, yeah, actually, let's try that, uh, and it can it can add something to a scene. So it, it's been it's one of the things I enjoy most about audio. It's it's one of the most forgiving mediums. And I always say to actors when they're sort of working on something or because, you know, hats off to the actors. We're, we're, this is a big finish. We're not, it's not a normal ask for an actor. Yeah, come in, come in and, and play a role in, in, in TV, although TV is becoming, um, becoming a lot bolder these days. Has done for, for the last sort of 10 or, or 15 years. But, but it, it's not an average day at work asking somebody to come along and play a, a postman who's... Um, possessed by a demon from another planet is it it's it's, it's un, these are unusual things to ask of an actor and so as they're giving us all the sort of wild things we we need to make that work in post-production one of the things i always say is i don't i won't let anything get through in post-production post-production is a is a sort of safe period of time where we get it we assemble it all and we make sure it sounds fantastic and that everybody sounds great and is is, is sort of contributing um, to the story, we won't let anything slip through that that that, that 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 doesn't feel right or doesn't sound right. So so yeah, there's there's quite a lot that goes into that post production process. I do think acting is one of the most bizarre professions in the world, and yeah, you know, amazing. And, and I often it? think you know, these amazing actors, and you, know, you think you know the role they're playing at the moment or what they do, you think, oh, that's bizarre that they'll just do that. Yeah. Yeah, um, and it's it's not even just do it in order in, in theatre. You know, you have a few days to rehearse it and sort of try it out, and and then you've got previews in front of an audience to practice what it is and see if it works. But in audio, it's literally turn up in the morning, and within thirty minutes, you've got to do that thing, like that straight away. You know, no warm up, no preparation, no hanging about. You, you've got to do it and then move on to the next thing. So it takes a yeah. Actors are amazing. I mean, uh, uh, the the. Um, it's 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 the reason I I'm I've been so happy to continue doing this job for as long as I have. It's because spending time in the company of actors, seeing them do what they're capable of doing, is just it, it, it's a gift. It's a it's a privilege to to sit in a studio and work with actors. We we actually spoke with we we spoke with um, Peter Purvis last week actually, and. Um, one story that Philip and I both listened to uh, prior to speaking with him was the the Sontarans, which I believe you worked on. Yes, I think I did. Um, it's a while ago now. That do, you, one. do you recall watching Peter doing two, actually three roles, because he had the yeah. narrator plus yeah. the doctor plus Stephen? What's that like to watch as a director? It, 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 it's um, very it's very easy for a director to watch. To be honest with you, it's, that's a that's a classic example of an actor doing all the hard work. Um, uh, sometimes if an actor's new to doing that, I might just have to talk to them about how to, how to clearly 
separate the two or three things they're doing. Um, just to, and, it, and really, mostly it's just a case of, of explaining how it's going to sound in post-production. Because I often think if an actor understands what, what the end point is, then they know what to deliver in order for you to achieve that, that end point. So, so mostly it's just explaining how it's going to sound in the, in the final production. Um, but when you're working with somebody like Peter, who's, um, he, he's, he's a very experienced actor. He's also a very experienced um, broadcaster and, and presenter. So he knows, he knows how to tell a story. He knows how to speak to an audience. He knows how to use a microphone. So... It, it, from my point of view, it's it, it, it's one of those wonderful experiences of just being able to sit back and watch somebody who's bloody brilliant at their job being brilliant. Who are some of the actors you've enjoyed working with? You've just sat back and not had to do anything, just watch them do, watch them play. I can't. That's, I can't <laughs> no, no. answer that question. <laughs> I really can't. Everybody's brilliant. They're all brilliant for so many different reasons. You get great. You get great classical actors, who and and I, I'm I, my accent is a is a, a very sort of it's a very um, uh, uh, it, it's 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 called estuary estuary English, which is a, a sort of expansion of of, of London um, of a of a London accent. It's a very southern. Um, uh, 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 accent. It's, it's, it's sort of spread across most of the south and southeast of the UK now, the estuary accent. Um, and I can't do anything else with my voice. This is it. This is my, I'm not a trained actor. Um, uh, and, and this is just what I sound like. Um, so for me, it's, it's great working with classically trained actors who, who, who just sound amazing and can do things with their voice. Uh, it, 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 hearing hearing that metamorphosis in studio is it's just amazing and, and for me it, it, i feel awful because i i give the note which is easy for me to give but hearing an actor do it is it's just incredible um so it, it's amazing so there's, there's there's there are different types of actor you can work with and there are those those act those classically trained actors theatrically trained actors who are brilliant although we work with a lot of thea theatrically trained actors because that happens to be quite good for audio for other reasons we can talk about but then you've got those those completely um unself-conscious actors like mark bonner playing the 11 that there there aren't there i don't think any actor any other actor would mind me saying there aren't a huge number of actors in the world who could play that role, who could do that. Um, and and he's, he, 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 he does it. What he does, he does... I don't know, I, I never listen to the extras, but do they, have they played studio recordings of Mark in the studio when he's performing the Eleven? They must have done that in the extras at some point. Yeah. He just does it. I mean, sometimes he's got all the voices on, on his phone. So he'll some every now and then he'll he'll give himself a quick reminder of one of the voices if he if he needs to, um, if he needs to remind himself. But but he he just does that, and he's fantastic at it. And so that's you know working with an actor like that who's got that, um, who's who's that that sort of free of of the 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 the, 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 the sort of constraints we all have of worrying of worrying. What we're going to sound like and 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 um, what people might think of what we're doing. He's just he just he it's he has no ego. He he just rips it apart every time he does it. It's incredible. So well, we that's get why they're we're, called 
Because that's why they're called plays, isn't it? Because they're playing. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. And so you and there, there are. That's just two of the many different types of actor you can work with, and they're all a joy to work with for for all sorts of different reasons. And the one, can I talk about tricky actors? Because that's the one thing I'd always like to say. We always hear about tricky actors. Everybody's always got a story about oh, somebody was a bit tricky. I've always found the 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 the. Um, whenever anybody's told me an actor's tricky and then I've worked with them, there's nothing tricky about them. They just want to do a really good job and they expect everybody else to try to be working as hard as they are to do a good job. And nine times out of 10, you find out that the only time they've been tricky is when somebody's been messing about or, or just not helping the process has been blocking the process rather than helping the process. So I don't believe that there's, you know, all actors are brilliant and amazing all in their individual ways. And the, the job of a director is to work out very quickly sometimes what each individual actor requires, what their process is, where they're coming from, what they need and what it is they're trying to achieve. And then you, then you can talk to them in 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 a in a in a constructive way, but if you don't work if you don't work that out, if you don't take the time to work out what individual actors need, that's when you can have a problem where you suddenly find yourself butting up against somebody because you're 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 giving a note in a particular way which is which isn't helpful at all to that actor. So it's a it's a great it's a sort of it's a puzzle of of, of personalities. It's one of the things I love about it. It's I like. It's one of the reasons I enjoy storytelling because it's all about bringing characters to life, working out what makes a character tick, and 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 exploring that. And it, and and that's what that's what directing's like. You get into a room full of people, and you've got to work out who they are, what they're like, what they find funny. You know, making making a recording enjoyable for a day is 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 sometimes trying to work out what what some people find funny. Some things, some people find some things. Not very funny at all. And so making the wrong joke can be very unhelpful. So it's a, it's a lovely little balancing act of, of it's a great, there's a, there's a, um, there's a lot of satisfaction in getting to the end of a recording day and, and feeling as if everybody really enjoyed the day. It really sounds like you love, love what you do. Yeah. Uh, it's a yeah. I consider myself really. I've done some other jobs in my time. Trust me, um, and uh, and I I do consider myself. And I could have made some probably um, much more lucrative choices, if I'm honest. But uh, I it, it, I wouldn't do anything else. It's great fun. Yeah, yeah. It's a privilege to do this. Well, it's it's been really uh, great listening to you talk about uh, the things that you're passionate about, and uh, we're passionate as Doctor Who fans yeah. about our big finish as well. We love it. And uh, so, so thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to come on and have a chat with us. No, thank you. Honestly, it's been a pleasure. And I've, I've, as I said when we began, re- really appreciate um, the work you guys do. Um, creating, you, it, it's a, it, it's a, um, audio's a strange business in that, in, it's, in that it's such a solitary experience. You know, we produce these things and they're gone and we don't know who listens to them. And, and because you guys do things like this, it's, it all becomes part of an audio ecosystem that I think is really important. So, no, it's been a pleasure to chat with you. It's been really nice to meet you and um, keep up the good work. Anya! Anya! From Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, The Tenth Doctor Adventures, Dalek Universe 1. Time travel. 
Good idea or not? It's overrated. Anya! Bit dark though, isn't it? Surely if you're going around opening doors, you'd switch on the lights. Maybe those systems were damaged in the crash? Very probably. Mark! Wait, Mark? Mark, I know. Mark Seven? But why send me there? Why do you two? I believe I may have the answer to that conundrum. I think you may have been sent to me because I was investigating George Sheldrake. And he's launching the time tunnels from there at midnight. Midnight? Why is it always the end of the world at midnight? You can trust me. In fact, that's your only option. I'm the foremost temporal scientist of this era. Don't thank me yet. I think we're coming down in the clearance zone. Among all those mechanoids, brace yourselves! Ah, too late, they've opened fire. Ah! It's landing in the next street. Then let's get over there. You too, mechanoid, come on! Mechanoid. Visions. There's one in here. Whatever potential chronoclasm this is, it's likely to have been triggered by the activation of the time tunnels. Temporal anomaly detected! Big finish. We love stories. You're the only one that can help. Without you, it's the end of everything. Okay, so that was a fantastic chat we had with Ken. Um, lots and lots of little nuggets through there. Uh, Philip, uh, what are your reactions on uh, our chat with ken i think what i loved so much was to see that ken loves what he's doing he's mm. enthusiastic for what he does um he's working unbelievably hard um you know one point mentioning you know he's juggling a dozen or more stories at the same time doing all different parts of it but just to see his passion and to see his enthusiasm and he just loves what he does loves the actors loves the scripts loves yeah just someone who loves their work so much and so enthusiastic you gotta love that so yeah, yeah it's great absolutely so thank you ken for uh for having a chat with us it was fantastic um recommendations let's do some recommendations for this episode and i think it might be your turn philip it's always my turn Dwayne. <laughs> well i was right then it is i'm i'm gonna recommend another um release for this month which is the gallifrey four time war so the, the last probably or maybe the last stories in the gallifrey series gallifrey has always been a series that i've loved from the very beginning um yeah i've got a, yeah love love louise jamison and leela and i love what they did in terms of bringing them together for that series um the first three series of gallifrey in particular were just spectacular um, I love the political intrigue and and the comedy in those those early years, but also the way they those actors play those characters. And this is it wrapping up. So lots of things are wrapping up at the moment. Um, mm. We'll see. I mean, they, they they did wrap up Gallifrey before and they brought it back. So it's always a possibility. But it's yeah, it's a good set of stories um, featuring different actors in different episodes. Definitely worth a listen to. What about uh, you, yeah. Dwayne? Richard, you... Richard Armitage is a is a good one. He's uh, scary in, in there, is he? Yeah, <laughs> he's good. Excellent. So for me, I'm not going to recommend something I've listened to, but it kind of relates. Um, I'm going to recommend a, a YouTube series uh, by Josh Snares. Have you heard of Josh? Philip? No, I haven't. Josh Snares does a lot of. Um, he's got a channel. Does a lot of Doctor Who related uh, 
documentaries and things like that. Um, really good stuff. A good series he's just just done, and I'm looking to my to the site here on my on my second monitor so I can get the title right. How Doctor Who's missing episodes came back. So it's a three part series. Each of them go for about fifteen to twenty five minutes per episode, and he talks about. Um, uh, the black and white era in the first two episodes, and then he talks about the third Doctor era in the final episode. Really well done, really well put together. All he, he references all the information on a book called Wiped. Who wrote Who wrote that? Was it Richard Molesworth? Wrote a book called Wiped about all the uh, missing episodes and how the stories behind that. Um, but I will put some links in the show notes to that video series. It's really really good. Keep up the good work, Josh. Uh, he's been doing good stuff for ages, and um, yeah, you, you can't really go wrong if you look at any of his stuff on his channel. So that's my recommendation. There you go. Perfect. So next time when we re- when we return, we will be speaking with another guest. Um, this time we're going to be speaking with uh, someone that we briefly mentioned uh, in the episode. If you were listening carefully, you would have heard that. We're speaking recently to Peter Purvis, and we haven't actually broadcast that episode yet. So this one will be coming out next. And, uh, well, give us a preview. Philip, give us a preview. Um, Well, firstly, let let me tell you, as a fan, I can't say how excited I was to get to talk (laughs) to Peter. Um, When I approached him and he was very enthusiastic coming on the program, I was a bit surprised, but excited as well. And I was a bit nervous um, because, you know, yeah, he's early 80s, but just so with us. He had so many stories to tell. So, yeah, come along next week. You're going to hear stories I think you wouldn't have haven't heard before. Um, certainly, there's there was a lot of information he gave that I didn't know. Stories about some of the cast members. Um, but once again, his enthusiasm for a show he was in 50 years ago, more, um, is astounding. And he is bright as a button and so much passion. And you're going to love it. Looking forward to that one. So, and uh, until then, we will. How am I going to finish this episode off? I didn't. I didn't come prepared for an outro, so I'll just say, bye. You say it too, Philip. Bye, everyone. You've been listening to the Sirens of Audio, episode forty-five. Ken Bentley, the director's cut, with Philip Edney and Dwayne Bunny. Theme music by Husky by the Geek find him on youtube his video version of the theme is sweet as bra rate and review us on apple podcasts or your favorite podcatcher subscribe to the sirens of audio on youtube and be sure to watch with your 3d glasses for the wibbly wobbly timey wimeys email us at sirens of audio at gmail.com check our webpage at sirens of audio.com our twitter handle is audio sirens Find us on Facebook by typing the Sirens of Audio into the search bar. And if you want to make your lockdown go like a finger clicking that, keep listening to lots and lots of audio drama, because audio drama 